1: Welcome to the Billboard Chart Podcast, Gary Trust, Billboard's co-director of charts.
3: And hey, guys, it's Trevor Anderson, a chart manager here at Billboard. And this is where we look at why what's on the charts
1: is on the charts. And flashing back this week, we're going back 28 years to this week, 1990. We're going to count down the top 20 hits on the Billboard Hot 100 dated June 16th, 1990. Not going to give away what number one was.
3: I but respect. if you read
1: the headline on this, uh, you already know uh, our special guest is well. Don't give it away. Pierre Gessel of Roxette doesn't necessarily mean that uh, Roxette was number one this week. It's a pretty good clue, though.
3: Oh, <laughs> well, if you know, if you know Gary, he's a, he's very generous with his hints.
1: Yeah, so that's uh, the focus of this week's podcast. But uh, also a lot of action uh, in this week's top ten, dated June sixteenth. 2018 so uh, let's say uh, get right into the hot 100 this week and again Per uh, pair guest over our, set, our special guest coming up as we count down the top 20 this week in 1990 on the charpie podcast right now this week's top 10 10 9
4: 8 7 6 5 4 3 2 1 why don't you just meet me in the middle
0: number 10 i'm the-
4: Number nine. You can't take back the love that I gave you. It's to the point why I love and I hate you, and I cannot change you, so I must replace you. Oh, easier said than done. Yeah. menacing. Number eight. Frightening. Find help. Sometimes I scare myself. Myself. She could get menacing. This is America.
0: Number seven.
4: Don't got you slipping off. No? Look how I'm living off. No? be tripping up, Yeah, this is America. guns in my area. I got the strap.
3: Number six.
4: my God's
0: plan.
5: God's plan.
0: Number five.
5: I hope back sometimes I won't. Yeah. I feel good, sometimes I don't. Hey.
4: Down, west, down road like you run around the guys like number 4 like you love me what i want when i come through number 3 oh he
5: so has Number two, you gotta be nice
4: for what to these I understand. You gotta you got a baby you got some bad friends, high school you was even bad And number one, can really trust nobody all you. you my when am rolling
3: through my And for the first time since December. If you have been waiting for Post Malone to end the countdown, this week is your lucky week. There he is, Post Malone, with the song Psycho, featuring Ty Dolla Sign, the new official number one this week on the Hot 100. For fans of the podcast, uh, you've been hearing this song a lot in the past couple of weeks during this little top ten recap, uh, always kind of mixed somewhere in there between two and five, but... Officially at number one. Took a little while. We're talking fifteen weeks uh, on the chart, which especially nowadays, given that we've seen um, you know three songs debut straight at number one recently, um, you know songs kind of jump up there quickly thanks to streaming. Fifteen weeks feels like it, you know, is kind of a scenic route at this point to get to the top of the chart.
1: You could say it was postponed.
3: Until it got to number one. You can say it was postponed. I'll I'll never admit to. To, to saying that at all but yeah you look at how long that song took to number one uh the last song to take at least 15 weeks uh, was Havana for Camila Cabello which you know was sort of a little different because it was the, the solo song that really got her established it really started at the bottom of the chart and moved its way up Psycho if you guys remember actually debuted at number two and has been in the top five uh, for all these 15 weeks so kind of works out nicely that just in the timing with Nice For What which had been number one uh, for six non-consecutive weeks, starting to slide down. This is America as well. Childish Gambino, which had been number one before that, sliding down as well. There, there really wasn't a, a song that, you know, that has that kind of massive momentum that's bounding up the chart. So a nice week for Post Malone to just, you know, slide in the top spot. And, and kind of to that point, uh, Psycho has that sort of rare distinction of, of being the number one song on the Hot 100, but actually not being the number one song at Radio or in sales, or in streaming. Right. So um, to kind of get that perfect storm as well, that's one thing you have to look at, where it's not dominating any one factor that's helping it out, but it's doing you know just well enough across the board. Number two on radio, number two in sales, and number ten in streaming.
1: Well, that number ten is is pretty notable because uh, we've seen for so long now, if you're number one in streaming, you're. Very possibly going to be number one on the Hot 100. We haven't seen anything uh, be number one on the Hot 100, but be as low as number ten on streaming songs uh, since 2014. Happy by Pharrell. So it's was, it's was kind of a different era ago in terms of streaming. Four years is uh, kind of feels like a long time ago in, in the streaming world.
3: Yeah, I mean when you think about you know the explosion of it, just just the user growth. I mean, Apple Music was not a thing four years ago. Uh, Title was not a thing four years ago. Spotify was, but but it didn't seem like it had the same kind of stranglehold the way it does now uh so yeah i mean if it was people were still willing to buy songs
1: at the same time though it's uh, there's not a huge gap between number one and number 10 on the streaming songs chart this week so it's not like it's so far behind It's, it's actually a pretty close race just happens to be number 10 all
3: right and so as we mentioned the songs that had been number one nice for what this is america falling down people looking for what might be that next challenger for the number one spot uh right now probably the smart money is on cardi b the song I Like It with Bad Bunny, with J Balvin. Moving up to a new peak on the Hot 100, you guys just heard it, at number three, so as high as that song has been. Remember it debuted actually in the top ten at number eight when the album came out. Has been a real fan favorite, doing really well in streaming even before it became the official single. Now with the push from the music video coming out a little over a week ago, we've got the radio support kicking in as well. This song, I think a lot of people also kind of have marked as a real song of the summer possibility. So a huge move there, Uh, and it's actually not Cardi's only song in the top five this week. She's got another one, Gary. She is just racking them up.
1: Yeah, right before that, Maroon 5 at number four with Girls Like You uh, featuring Cardi B. So originally just a Maroon 5 solo song, but uh, she has joined it for the single. Uh, If you've seen that video, it's really a matter of who isn't in the video. It's every woman who's uh, kind of prominent in pop
3: culture right now. Do you think they just saw Nice For What and said, hey, we can do
1: that too? So, yeah, both songs uh, make huge gains uh, because the videos uh, came out. So big uh, streaming gains, big sales gains. Uh, this is actually the greatest jump in the Hot 100's history ever by a group. Uh, 90 positions, 94 to 4. So uh, beats, if uh, uh, remember this song, i um Matchbox 20, how far we've come. made an 84 uh, position jump uh, back in 2007. But yeah, record-breaking jump for Maroon 5. Uh, Biggest jump of all time on the Hot 100 is uh, Kelly Clarkson, My Life Would Suck Without You, 97 to 1. So 96 uh, spot jump uh, for that song. Uh, Cardi B, uh, Trevor, actually was really excited about the Hot 100 this week. To have those two songs in the top five. This is what she said about it.
5: Yo, I am so happy today. I'm so happy happy like i can't even believe it like i'm so happy well let me tell you so i like it i like it like that it's number three number three on the billboards hot 100 and maroon five girls like you featuring me is number four like bro i'm so happy i'm so grateful i'm, thank you for, I'm thankful for y'all for making this happen i swear like if i was to see god if i was to see jesus christ on my in my dreams today i will kiss his feet like i really want to give i wish i could give god a hug bro so i'm just gonna hug myself and make pretend that i'm hugging god because this man does so much for me thank you so much
3: y'all yeah if you happen to be on twitter cardi instantly as soon as she found out the news really put that up cardi's been a real chart fan um really her entire journey you know as she would always kind of post on instagram how bodak yellow was moving up the charts um they had a nice little party for her at atlantic when the song hit number one she's always been you know really conscious of that and obviously the charts have been really good to her in the past year as well so a nice relationship uh going on there
1: I just like how how authentic her reaction is. It's not a canned uh, PR kind of a quote. That's that's Cardi B.
3: Oh, there's all oh, there's nothing canned or or you know stereotypical or anything. You're going to get authentic with Cardi B about anything.
1: Uh, so actually two other songs uh, new to the top 10 this week. Uh, Kanye West number 8 with Yikes uh, has uh, all uh, seven songs from Ye uh, debut in the top 40 on the Hot 100. Uh, Yikes is a 16th top 10. And uh, Juice World also new in the top 10, his first top 10, Lucid Dreams, up 59.
3: That's, come on, Juice World, killing it. Really, I mean, honestly, I I know obviously surprises can kind of come out of left field a lot, but it feels like we know so many superstars doing big things right now. We're talking Drake, Cardi, obviously Kanye's back, Nicki's coming. It feels like, you know, this story kind of has gotten a little lost. I mean, how quickly this song has risen. It was number one on SoundCloud for months ago, and really when it hit Spotify, when Interscope uh, got involved. I mean, it's quickly made its way up to the top 10. I mean, this is how many weeks on the chart is this? Yeah. Just four, just four weeks already. Top 10. That's, you know, ridiculous.
1: All right. Back to 1990 the music. I grew up.
3: Oh gosh. Back in 1990, I would have been not born
1: this week in 1990, 28 years ago. I uh, was between uh, freshman and sophomore year in high school.
3: What were you like in high school, Gary? Yeah. If I can brag
1: for a second, had won, uh, the high school science fair that year for the second straight year oh Gar- to too much <laughs> wait a minute gary defending his title look yeah. at that yeah. so uh much more interesting on the charts uh 1990 going back to this week 28 years ago what did the hot 100 sound like let's kick into it the top 20 this week on our way to number one and again we're going to hear from Per gessel of roxette when we get to the top of the chart this week june 16th 1990 let's start counting down at number 20. <sighs>
4: All the half wow. shell, they're the heroes for. In this day and age, who could ask for more? The crime wave is high with buggings mysterious. All police and detectives are... Yeah.
3: All right, kids, let's count this thing down, starting uh, with numbers 20 through 16. Uh, Remember, this is the Hot 100 this week back in 1990. And coming in at number 20, we have the song Turtle Power by Partners in Crime. Uh, I guess maybe in in a way this is very much appropriate to set the scene of what was going on in 1990. If you haven't heard the song in its entirety... Uh, you probably may be wondering, well, it's a little weird, What's the, what are they talking about? Well, it's actually a song they used in the Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie, so uh, maybe that helps settle the scene about why this song would have been a hit, obviously attached to a mega movie franchise at the time. And one of the things that I think that this song does that, that is kind of maybe a little understated is... For Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles to take on a rap song as something that they're going to use in their end credits in 1990, yeah, that's that's a pretty big you know a big move and a, and a big commercial changer for rap because obviously a lot of rap at this time is you know I mean NWA is hot at this time you know Ice T is hot at this time Public Enemy is hot at this time a lot of the the big rap making waves is not necessarily. Uh, you know the most happy, family-friendly.
1: Sort of like the only two kinds of rap you had at the time was that, and then uh, sort of the, the goofy novelty rap, which did pretty well on the charts. So there really wasn't a whole lot of middle
3: ground. You, you know, really
1: was two extremes, and uh, this was the kind that did pretty well for pop audiences.
3: Uh, <laughs> yeah. If I had to pick the one that's probably gonna gonna make yeah. everyone's appetite a little more settled, uh, yeah, probably gonna be that one. Um, fun fact: they also get one of the the lyrics wrong. They note that uh, Raphael is the leader in the lyrics but actually it's leonardo so hardcore teenage mutant ninja turtle fans will appreciate that all right so who is partners in crime because they're not a particularly household name at this point uh two guys out of new york and even though this song hits number 13 on the hot 100 there's really not much to say in the way of success after this they put out another single called undercover shortly after but they never release an album All right, just above them at number 19 on the Hot 100, we got Rub You the Right Way by Johnny Gill. Uh, Now, Bruno Mars kind of, you know, is going to be the flag bearer of New Jack Swing, it appears. Certainly with Finesse earlier this year, he took that mantle. But back in 1990, nobody did New Jack Swing better than the men of new edition. All right, so uh, Johnny Gill, interesting kind of path that Johnny Gill has in music. So he starts out with two solo albums on Atlantic and a duets album with his uh, friend Stacey Ladisaw. Then Johnny joins New Edition when Bobby Brown is kicked out. He's around for some of their later bigger hits, including Can You Stand the Rain, If It Isn't Love, uh, Mustard Gary Chagrin. Johnny Gill is the only member of New Edition not from Boston. Yeah. He's not the, yep, he does not... Uh, Wave the Red Sox, Bruins, Celtics flag. Now, Johnny gets a second self-titled album, which is One Way to Reinvent Yourself, in 1990, which has this song, a few other major R&B hits. Uh, Teams back up with New Edition, does a few more solo projects into the 90s, then joins another group. He forms with uh, Key Sweat and Gerald LeVert, called LSG, and that trio puts out some albums as well. Now... In recent years, he's returned to touring with New Edition on some of their legacy tours and, get this, joined another group, a splinter group of New Edition called Home State, which is Bobby Brown, Johnny Gill, and Ralph Tresvant. And if that sounds familiar, a trio breaking out of New Edition, it's because they're the three members who did not form Belle, Biv, DeVoe. Uh. So now everybody in New Edition is part of New Edition and a trio branching off a new edition so there's like a lot of groups from new edition going on there
1: they're going to tweet out an image of the the family tree
3: we may have yeah we might have to break down you know literally johnny gill's history in in, in visual form i make it a little easier um but johnny still records to this day he's actually had two top 15 hits on our adult r&b songs chart um, in the past year one got to number three and another at number 11 so you know even 30 years into his career johnny is still out there commanding huge hits from the r&b audience and speaking of members of the new edition, you got Bobby Brown right above number 18, helping out Glenn Medeiros with the song She Ain't Worth It. Uh, potentially the first rap song collaboration to hit number one. I know you don't think of Bobby Brown as a rapper, really, but he does do a rap verse in this song. Um, and in 1990, you know, to, to have a pop singer with a rap verse is a pretty rare feat.
1: Even to have him uh, featured on a song, you didn't see the word featuring much on that 100. So even that kind of stood out.
3: Yeah, that kind of gave you a, a good clue of, you know, it's not a duet. What is, what is, what is this featuring about? Um, so Bobby Brown helping him out there. Uh, Glenn Medeiros' lead act on the song had a couple pop AC hits in this window. Um, probably most notably, uh, besides this song, nothing's going to change my love for you a number four hit on the adult contemporary chart 12 on the hot 100 and after his music career ended he went into the education route became a vice principal uh at a school in his native hawaii
1: i'm just wondering if it's tough to be a principal in hawaii of all places because if you're gonna skip school wouldn't hawaii be the maybe the best place to do that might be a tough job for
3: Uh, maybe they have like you know i'm sure cops on patrol on all the beaches or something you're not gonna get away that easy kid all right, uh, above them, number 17, a very famous song, Nothing Compares to You, as done by Sinead O'Connor, uh, of course, famously written by Prince and first recorded by The Family, uh, one of the R&B groups that he had a hand in back in the 1980s. Uh, of course, O'Connor's cover becomes huge, and a lot of that uh, really also comes from its music video, which is, you know, oddly enough you know it's not this big elaborate music video but probably one of the best known videos in music history um if you don't know it's kind of Sinead O'Connor Nine, mostly 90 percent of the video just really looking at the camera singing and in heartbreak and at the end there's the tears that fall down her face just just a couple um really poignant you know really appropriate for the song um and, and a huge reception for it first woman to win video of the year at the MTV VMAs, and of course helps propel this song up to number one for four weeks uh, in 1990. Now there are too many artists who you can sort of put that pin in and say this is the moment your career stopped. Unfortunately for Sinead O'Connor, you kind of can. Yeah. Um, for those who don't know, you know the Sinead O'Connor story. Uh, a couple years later, she was on an episode of Saturday Night Live singing a cover of Bob Marley's "War." Uh, During rehearsal, she ripped up a picture of of like an infant child or or, or, um, so that's what everyone expected was going to happen. Of course, during the very very much live Saturday Night Live, she rips up a picture of the Pope instead, says fight the real enemy. That was about
1: as close in a pre-social media era as you could get to everybody just talking about what just
3: happened. That's crazy. So were the phones ringing off the hook, or, or the next day at yeah. breakfast, at, did yeah. you see, did you hear, at school, was everybody everyone like... Everyone
1: that dialed all, all those numbers on the rotary phone, and, and uh, we all started talking about it.
3: That, yeah, unfortunately for Sinead, a lot of people talked about it, plenty of complaints, um, and really, you know, I mean, American audiences never really accepted her again. I mean, she still uh, recorded, she still performs, but, you know, has not come close to that sort of international success and acclaim um, which, you know, someone who really has rebelled against uh, sort of the, you know, the idea of the industry and the establishment right. of what you should do, you know, it's... it's yeah, she was it's, being herself. It's a very, yeah, it's a very fraught relationship.
1: She seemed like the type of person who, you know, that's more important than just having a bunch of pop She wanted to speak her mind, and uh, good for her for doing that.
3: Oh, for sure. She always was, was authentic and and um, very real, I mean, and, and had no problem speaking out against what she saw as, you know, bullying or... or, or Attempts to shut her down or shame her or anything.
1: And just so you don't think I was doing nothing but science projects, I, I saw Sinead O'Connor in concert in nineteen ninety that summer.
3: Really? Yeah. How now? Obviously, it's, you know, it's kind of hard sometimes to gauge off sort of one album, one one song. How big a phenomenon was, was she? Which did she have a loyal following? Was it a small but mighty following? Was it was.
1: A- well, the thing I noticed it was the first time I'd really, I'd really seen goth kids. Entire audience was pretty much kids in black, and i I'd, I'd been to pop shows before then. This, this is a whole new world for me.
3: Did it run you away?
1: That was probably my only uh, alternative show for, <laughs> for a while, but it was it was a good show. And uh, yeah, yeah, she had uh, "Emperor's New Clothes" was uh, another uh, number one hit on the alternative songs chart. After this, so she, I, I think she still to this day has a pretty loyal following because I think people uh, respect that she uh, she had her own vision
3: and talented musician. Yeah, she is. Uh, also, for Prince fans, of course, who. Wanted to hear the song, uh, two versions came out after Sinead's song, 1994, and live version with Rosie Gaines, and just this year, uh, Warner Brothers put out a single, which is the studio recording, back in 1984, and a video to go along with it, so uh, some of the Prince fans getting some more jewels out of the archive going forward. Alright, and at number 16, uh, we got the song Baby It's Tonight by our friend Jude Cole. Now, this song, uh, one of five Hot Hunter hits he has between his heyday in 1990 1993, um, maybe more contemporary fans know him a little bit from some of the liner credits of Lifehouse Right. Uh, for those who don't know he went on to become a manager and a producer and a writer uh, for the band starting in the mid 2000s uh, probably most notably he is a co-writer of the song You and Me which if you don't know what that sounds like it goes like this a number 5 hit back in 2005 you may not think you know it but trust me you know.
4: Yeah,
3: get your lighters in the air. Classic from the mid-2000s uh, going on there. This particular song, Baby, It's Tonight, feels like, you know, 1990s, a little bit of a... I, I don't know. In my mind, it sounds like a little bit of like a, like a late 80s hangover, yeah. like a, a Brian Adams kind of yep. sound. Like that... You associate really strong with like the late 80s. A little soft to be like Bon Jovi, but definitely, you know, if you think of 90s as just, you know, rhythmic R&B, there's still, still some of the rock guys holding out there.
1: Interesting uh, thing. I, I didn't realize this. I, I was uh, researching. He's married to Lori Pfeiffer. It's Michelle Pfeiffer's sister.
3: That's too, uh, Uptown Funk fans, that's some trivia for you. That's
1: right. <laughs> uh, he, he's, can we say, he's the original J. Cole as well.
3: You next, next, next. Keep going, keep going, keep going. Let's keep going. Uh, number 15 to
1: number 11 this week on the Billboard Hot 100, June 16th, 1990. 15 through 11 this week on the Billboard Hot 100, 28 years ago, going back to uh, number 15, starting with Richard Marks, Children of the Night. It was up to number 15 on its way to number 13 peak, uh, written in support of the Los Angeles-based organization of the same name for Runaways. And if you if you know that song at the end, there's this uh, long coda. It was uh, arranged by Richard Marks' father. Uh, Really great sound at the end of that song. Uh, Fifth top 15 hit from his album, Repeat Offender, which uh, to this day is his only number one hit uh, on the Billboard 200 albums chart. Uh, I'll take this back to the 80s, Trevor. I remember hearing this song uh, about a year earlier before it was a hit when Repeat Offender first came out, uh, Satisfied and Right Here Waiting. They were the first two singles. Both went to number one. Uh, WZOU Boston. Station doesn't exist anymore. Uh, Played this song early on. I remember thinking, it's a great song. It took about a year. Uh, For it to be a single, and in a pre-streaming era, it wasn't like you could really listen to it all the time. The closest you could get is uh, uh, fast forward the cassette to uh, to hear that song. Fast
3: forward the cassette. Back in you didn't have CDs yet.
1: I didn't really get into CDs till three or four years later. I still love cassettes. Still have a whole collection.
3: Do you still play them? I still have them. Uh, okay. Okay. So we. Okay. So we've at least you know separated from that. That's that's good.
1: Uh, number fourteen, uh, written by Diane Warren, uh, Taylor Dane. I'll be your shelter. Up seventeen, fourteen. It would become her seventh top ten hit on the Hot 100, getting to number four. Uh, it's also her last. Uh, she had uh, seven top tens in a row, all from the start of her career, uh, starting in nineteen eighty seven with "Tell to My Heart" and uh, single before "I'll Be Your Shelter." Uh, Love will lead you back. Also written by Diane Warren. Uh, became her only number one. So uh, nineteen ninety, huge year for taylor dane at number 13 on the hot 100 uh boy band lanier sending all my love it was down from its number five peak it's their only top 10 freestyle trio from miami uh they did have another hit and kind of a lost hit at this point number 30 song in 1992 called tlc but uh, this is uh really their best known song sending all my love at number 13 number 12 uh Again, uh, sort of like Turtle Power, but this one's probably uh, bigger pop culture-wise in terms of how it's influenced other songs going forward. Digital Underground, Humpty Dance was a number 12 after hitting number 11. A young Tupac in the video, uh, in the background of this video. So uh, at the time, no one knew uh, really what his career would uh, become so big. But uh, yeah, Humpty Dance by uh, Digital Underground. Uh, they had another top 40 hit uh, too in 1992, just like uh, Lanier. Kiss You Back hit number 40. But I don't think anyone uh, probably remembers that anywhere on the level of uh, this song. Uh, I would think, Trevor, if, if YouTube uh, memes had existed back in 1990, this this song probably would have been really big virally. It was a number five sales hit, but only a number twenty five airplay hit. So uh, this one was more fans really demanding it; they were buying it, but uh, pop airplay eh, didn't quite know what to do with it.
3: You know that the, the the struggle we find ourselves in, even in 2018, there it has precedent.
1: Uh, number eleven, hold on by In Vogue. It was up on its way to number two. A recent Billboard Music Awards performers. Uh, song starts with a portion of "Who's Loving You." Remember a few weeks ago, Trevor, on the podcast, uh, we played a clip of that song. Uh, a young Lauren Hill performed it uh, at the Apollo. She got booed. She,
3: ah, uh, yeah, she, yeah. she did. Uh, luckily, you know, that didn't stop her. She went on to make a. You know, huge impact with with her solo album.
1: And En uh, Vogue did too. A bunch of hits in the 90s. This was the first one. And uh, first of two songs called Hold On that we have here on the countdown. So it's a good year for songs called Hold On. Uh, before we get into the top 10, just to mention one uh, TV-related uh, thing for 1990. Uh, we were four episodes into Seinfeld at this point. It had one uh, pilot in July 1989. Came back uh, in the spring, summer 1990. Had its first three episodes so at this point. Just beginning this time, June 1990.
3: And other things happening, you know, in, in 1990 um, to give us a span of how big 28 years has been. Roseanne, one of the top three shows on TV back then. So, you know, for, for those who may not realize, you know, why Roseanne was rebooted, what was the show? Was it so big? I mean, it was a massive hit in the early 1990s. I mean, obviously, so few shows getting revived nearly 30 years after they started. So, you know that way i guess a victory for roseanne regardless
1: moving on top 10 this week 1990 june 16th that year numbers 10 through 6
3: The numbers 10 through 6 this week on the Hot 100. Back
2: Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, What the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass?"
0: Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Get the high-end goods you'll love without the high price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com style for free shipping and 365-day returns.
3: In 1990, uh, coming in at number 10, kicking us off, Phil Collins, Do You Remember? Um, so this is uh, probably safe to say Phil's sort of last major heyday. Gave him his last top 10s on the Hot 100. Yeah. I guess if you want to put it that way. I'm not trying to be a Debbie Downer, but for someone who's been at the peaks that Phil Collins had been at, you know, in any case, uh, do you remember the third of four top 10s from the album? But seriously, probably the best known of which is Another Day in Paradise, which had already been a number one hit by this point, Record of the Year winner at the Grammy Awards. Um, But yeah, after this, uh, Phil has one more top 10 in him that's going to be the very next single Gary, I know you know. Go ahead and and give us what is Phil Collins' most recent top ten hit on the Hot One Hundred. Nice way to put it. Most recent. Yeah, he's always got a shot.
1: Yeah. Something happened on the way to heaven.
3: Something happened on the way to heaven. Which was
1: interesting because the first three singles from that album were really all ballads. So it took till the fourth single. He had so many up tempo hits in the eighties. So he still still put out an up tempo hit in the summer of nineteen ninety.
3: And of course, also in the nineties, does. Kids everywhere a massive favor by going in on the Tarzan soundtrack. Crushes that. I mean, so many You'll Be In My Heart, of course, you know, a classic, a Son of Man. I mean, all those songs. Phil Collins did that for the kids, and he deserves everything he gets for it. All right, Above that, uh, number nine, we got uh, one, of the, one of the big trends that we're going to see in the 90s kicking off already. Male R&B groups who are just going to go on to dominate so much of the Hot 100 in the coming decade. We've got After 7 uh, at number 9 with Ready or Not, uh, the second peaking of their eight Hot 100 hits. The song is on its way to a number 7 peak. Uh, After 7 you know, found their heyday in that early 90s period, but really took some time off after 1995. Luckily for their fans, they weren't done yet, they came back in 2016, so I mean a 21-year hiatus, uh, the fact they even came back, pretty impressive, but it was a successful run. They've had four top tens on the adult R&B songs chart since 2016, including two in the past year, Running Out and Too Late. So uh, just goes to show it's never too late, really, to uh, keep adding those hits, and, and good to see them back. We've seen a lot of these R&B groups who had their heydays in the 90s coming back in the past 12, 24 months, so good to see a lot of them back in Vogue. Uh We saw number 11, one of them as well. All right, moving on, number eight this week, back in 1990 on the Hot 100, the famous MC Hammer, You Can't Touch This, the hit that was probably everywhere. I wasn't alive at that time, but I'm sure, Gary, this song probably was at every ballpark, every... Uh, cookout every just on the radio just anywhere you look there probably was this
1: this was actually its peak number eight uh really because it was only available as a kind of going way back here a 12 inch vinyl single it wasn't a cassette single at the time so it just wasn't as available otherwise it really might have been a number one hit but uh got to number eight uh, mostly from airplay but it's from some of those uh sales as well It's a little harder to find uh, in, in record stores but uh, yeah just massive pop culture hit at the time
3: and even though this is obviously mc hammer's biggest hit People may be surprised to know he's actually got five top 10s on the Hot 100. Uh, The other four being songs Have You Seen Her, Pray, Too Legit to Quit, and, of course, Adam's Groove from The Adams Family. So a lot of people may think of M.C. Hammer as a one-hit wonder, one-album wonder, um, but he actually, you know, had a pretty good span there for those those couple of years. Of course, like most of these sort of novelty rappers, kind of fell into a bit of trouble career-wise. As rap started to progress, as it became, you know, East Coast, West Coast, as it became much more commercial bling bling era if you want to call it that, found it a little hard to adapt to that. And then, of course, ran into some financial problems, so never quite recovered the way the way that he would have liked, but definitely made his mark, of course, on early 90s and parachute pants forever synonymous with with mc hammer
1: uh, also the album please hammer don't hurt Him, was in its second week at number one on the billboard 200 so uh even if people couldn't uh, buy the single easily they were buying the album number one
3: yeah huge returns for that album kind of one of the the, the benefits at that time of not having a single widely available people still want the song i mean you can't illegally download it you got to get it somewhere number seven all right by janet jackson the song had peaked at number four and had continued her run of top five hits from Rhythm Nation. All in all, she's going to have seven top five hits from this album, which, of course, as Chart fans and certainly Janet Jackson fans know, that is the only album in Hot 100 history to have seven top five singles. Still to this day, a record that has been untouched. Another record that Janet's in the middle of is this is her fourth consecutive top ten hit, She's going to have 14 more going into the 90s for a total of 18 top 10s in a row without missing. That's going to break a record by Madonna that she had in the 80s with 17 in a row. If only Madonna could have had one more top 10. But for Janet to have 18 in a row without missing just shows how big her 1990s is going to be. Going to be the second most successful artist of the 90s behind Mariah Carey. So this is a huge time for Janet Jackson. All right, and at number 6... Bringing us to the edge of the top five, we've got a song by Heart. All I want to do is make love to you. And kind of like some of these 80s acts that we've seen that, that are carrying over, um, going to have a hard time adapting to the new sounds, the new roads. This is going to be the last top 10 for Heart. The song had peaked at number two uh, two weeks prior to this countdown. So uh, a little end of an era for Heart as well.
1: Yeah, I feel like 1990. 1990- Kind of was that last year when you had uh, some of those hits that still sounded uh, a little bit '80s, maybe a little bit in 1991. But but by the end of '91, uh, we were getting uh, Nirvana. Rap was becoming uh, more mainstream. Grunge was taking over rock. So that
3: and you had those baby face ballads about yeah, to light up radio. Yeah, yeah
1: those uh, those middle ground pop rock songs just didn't. Uh, didn't uh do as well uh, later in the 90s uh, this song you said uh, trevor got to number two I always remember thinking how big a deal it was when they came back because alone had been a number one hit from the previous album so the brigade album came out and this just felt destined to be number one but uh yeah stopped at number two it, it kind of reminds me of uh dancing in the dark bruce springsteen felt like it was going to be a number one but uh, got caught behind when Doves cry by prince so again timing sometimes uh potential number one uh just asked to uh be the runner-up sometimes
3: And if you want to blame the song that kept heart out of number one, it is the very next song on this countdown. Here we go, bringing it to the home stretch. We've got numbers five through two.
4: Someday, somebody's gonna make you want to turn around and say goodbye.
1: five through two in the billboard Hot 100 this week 28 years ago june 16th 1990 uh back at number five it was down after becoming madonna's eighth number one of 12 uh, she's had so far maybe the most influential song in madonna's catalog uh, absolute dance classic and partly i say that because uh the sound uh, so many dance songs in the 90s would sound like vogue but uh, to this day i still feel like Maybe none of them, actually. Uh, they attempted, but I don't think anything sounds exactly like Vogue, it still sounds really fresh, I think, in 2018.
3: Yeah, I mean, definitely. What a gem of a song Vogue is. It's just, there's something fun about it. It, it. Even the rap section doesn't feel forced, or, you know, Madonna's trying to be cool or anything like that. It's just one of those songs that you just, and you can't help but dance to it. You just literally cannot.
1: Uh, she and Shep Pettibone co-wrote and produced it. Yeah, What I remember about this song, too, is... Uh, Spring 1990, the Bruins were back in the Stanley Cup finals, and their goalie was Andy Moog, spelled M-O-O-G. but it was pronounced Moog. And the local radio station, WVBF, also doesn't exist anymore. They, they did a parody called Moog. Come on, Moog. Yeah. Wow. Yeah.
3: Well,
2: goaltenders are in vogue at Stanley Cup playoff time in Boston. It's Andy Moog, whose play has
1: been music to the ears of Bruin fans.
4: Goalie with an attitude. Number one with the Bruins. Don't just stand there, let's get to it. Make
1: the safe, there's nothing to it. Mo. Uh, Number four, speaking of Boston, New Kids on the Block, up 8-4 this week in 1990. Uh, Vogue had led for three weeks, step-by-step. New Kids was on its way to its own three-week uh, rule at number one, third and last number one, but they were just the biggest thing at the time. And uh, Yeah, being in, in the Boston area, in Braintree, my hometown, Donnie Wahlberg moved to Braintree uh, in uh, this era. And I remember uh, biking over to the house. There were just kids outside, standing outside, waiting to see him uh, if he maybe come out at some point. It was it was like like you see video of, of Michael Jackson in Europe, people uh, just waiting to get a glimpse. That's what it was like for Donnie Wahlberg. Bellevue of Devoe at number three, another Boston band uh, holding in its number three peak with Poison. I feel like that's the song that when Finesse uh, became so big a few months ago, everyone was kind of going back to this song, Poison, saying that's that's really what it, uh, what it takes the sound from.
3: Yeah, I mean, "Poison" probably, maybe the best-known New Jack Swing song out there. Um, not certainly not the first, but there's something about it that just lives on. You know, even even to this day, you can hear it in clubs. You can hear it like it's just got the right, just that right touch.
1: And number two this week on the Billboard Hot 100, 28 years ago, first hit for Wilson Phillips. It was down from number one to number two. Uh, would go on to become the number one song of all of 1990 on the Hot 100. Uh, debut hit for sisters Carney and Wendy Wilson and China Phillips, who uh, sings lead on the song. They co-wrote it with Glenn Ballard, who produced it, and he'd have uh, more success in the '90s. And a
3: lot more checks coming. Yeah,
1: uh, collaborating with Alanis Morissette on "Jagged Little Pills. So huge era with really different sounds. This was pretty pure pop for uh, Wilson Phillips, and obviously more alternative for Alanis a few years later. Uh, first of three number ones for Wilson Phillips from their self-titled debut album. And uh, Alex Vitulis and I of the Charts Department, we, we hung out with Wilson Phillips a little bit a few years ago. And uh, Carney Wilson, Wendy Wilson, China Phillips, they said that uh, really brings back great memories when they think of how uh, they were number one uh, back in 1990.
2: It was- we were touring all around the world And people were throwing money at us And we were hot and sexy And we had it all going oh, on That's really a frightening
0: <laughs> answer but, no, That's um, it in <laughs> that show.
6: No, I have my okay, billboard rewind. magazine pla- plaque My laminated plaques on the wall Of Hold On, Release Me, and You're In Love Our number one
2: records And it's really cool to see that And walk by it every single day Honestly, I walk by it every day And I practically want to kiss it uh, and maybe we'll have another one of those up. That's very Wouldn't sweet. That be great Yeah, could happen. But the good news is, is that we just love singing together, and that's what matters. So.
1: Wilson Phillips on the Billboard charpie Podcast, looking back, nineteen ninety. This week, hold on, a number two on the Billboard Hot One Hundred, uh, which means we're up to the number one song this week. Twenty eight years ago, it was by Roxette. It was "It Must Have Been Love," and. Doesn't that work out well, Trevor, since Pierre Gessel of Roxette is our guest this week? I was
3: going to say, if you sat through this countdown and you remember Gary's little tease at the end about who was coming, you realize we have not mentioned our Swedish friends Roxette, the duo of Pierre Gessel and Marie Fredrickson. Huge era for for these two. Uh, Four number ones, uh, of course, including this week's number one, It Must Have Been Love, but other songs, The Look, Joyride, and... You know, kind of as we mentioned, we haven't really seen too many sort of pure pop songs at this point in time. I mean, we have sort of that a lot of late 80s rock, you know, some pop making its way through. Of course, we have the beginnings of, you know, rap and R&B taking over so much in the 90s. So for a pop duo to get, you know, to number one that many times in this window... Pretty impressive, but maybe a little understated.
1: Yeah, absolute great uh, songwriter, Pair Gessel, Marie Fredrickson, too. So uh, actually not recording or touring together anymore, although, as we'll find out, still really good friends. Uh, Marie has had some health issues in recent years, but uh, Pair is uh, continuing uh, to keep uh, these Roxette songs uh, on the road. He's touring uh, coming up. So we're going to get into all this with uh, just one of my favorite acts of all time, Roxette. Pair. Uh, Celebrating the number one song this week on the Billboard Hot 100 28 years ago. Number one this week back then. It must have been Love by Roxette. Thank you so much for coming on the Billboard Sharpie Podcast.
6: Oh, my pleasure. Thank you.
1: I'll, I'll get this out of the way right at the beginning. I'm a longtime super fan of Roxette, so I'll, I'll try not to, to gush too much.
6: <laughs> Thank you very much.
1: Yeah. So, uh, so we're celebrating It Must Have Been Love, uh, which was number one on the Billboard Hot 100 this week in 1990. Do you remember hearing a pair that uh, the news that it had gone to number one? It was your, your third number one for Roxette at the time. Do you remember actually finding out it was the number one song in America?
6: I actually remember we, it was number one for two weeks, and I remember on the second week I was in london and I, I, I was in a restaurant and i you know with the time changing every time zone changing everything, I had to sort of i thought I have to check check this out if it 's still number one so I made a phone call to New York and it was still number one, so I remember. You know, the second week, but I, couldn't remember, I can't remember the first week,
1: unfortunately. Uh, no, I remember reading in, in Fred Bronson's book, uh, the Billboard book of number one hits, that uh, when The Look debuted at number 50, it was Roxette's first uh, entry on the Hot 100, that uh, you knew that was pretty high at the time for a new act. So were, were you always a pretty big chart fan?
6: Yeah, I well, was. Ever since I was a kid, you know, it's always been, I was, I was really sort of a, Nerd. When I was like six, seven years old, you know, getting into the the, the Swedish charts, and the, I started buying, you know, the Melody Maker and New Musical Express magazines, newspapers from England early on. And uh, of course, when you start playing yourself in a band, and and you get a recording deal, you and you follow the charts for every record you make, and it's it it, it was. You know, in the eighties, or even even going back to the seventies, you know, when ABBA was around, it was pretty rare for for um, artists outside of England and, and uh, the English-speaking countries to have success in the states. So when we started Roxette, our, our main target was basically to go to get you know gigs in Germany or Holland or you know Denmark, whatever. But we never, to have success in the in the states was unheard of at the time. So we were shocked.
1: And for people who don't know the story, the look kind of by accident became a hit uh, at first in the yeah. US because a, a student uh, was in Sweden, heard the look, brought it back uh, to Minneapolis, the radio station started playing it and, and pretty soon after that, it's number 1 on the Hot 100.
6: Yeah, it was amazing. I mean, we we were we were doing a big tour in, in Sweden at the time and uh, someone told me that that they heard uh, Roxette on the radio in in the states and I, we, we at the time, you know, uh, we, we were I think it was Listen to Your Heart it was the current single for us in Sweden so the look was just an album opener it wasn't a single at all uh, so we were really surprised to hear about that the look is getting airplane in the States and then we heard about this story about this exchange students in Minneapolis and it's like a fairy tale story in a way and um, uh, yeah, it was crazy. <laughs> yeah.
1: you, you've met him since then, right? You, you, you've thanked him. Yeah. Oh
6: yeah, he yeah. was. You know, he, we, were, we were going to the states, and, and he went with us on a, on, a, on a media tour. So he was with us doing press conferences and everything because everyone loved that story. Uh, and it is a great story, and it's, it's just uh, I don't know. It's, it's uh, things that can. Uh, you know, they had a radio radio program in, in at the KDWB station in the Minneapolis where. where with the listeners actually could bring records to the station and get them on the air, so that is that's exactly what happened to us. You know, this this is chain, exchange student, he had a, he bought the Look Sharp album by Roxette and he gave it to the to the radio station and and uh, he uh, they didn't actually play it. He wanted it back after two weeks, so he went up and get it back. <laughs> and by accident, the program director Brian Phillips he was standing there in the reception and they saw the record and the record is pretty special because it's got a, a newspaper layout right. so the design of it is like very special so the, the program director got interested because of the sleeve and he said what's that and the um, student said that this is it's a swedish band and i like the, it, it a lot and i've been to sweden for a couple of months uh, and let's listen to it and the first song on the album is the look so he and the, the program director he just sort of freaked out and said this is a smash let's put it on the air and it was, you know, people started calling, you know, calling in and saying, that, "Hey, what's this? Play it again, play it again." Fairy tale story.
1: Are you surprised at the song's longevity? I'm hearing it a commercial now. The song's never really gone away. Almost 30 years later.
6: Yeah, it's, you know, I think one of the secrets, if there was one, for for the success with Roxette was that we we worked out of Stockholm, which was very, like I said earlier on, it's very rare that you you worked. Outside of LA or New York or America or London or whatever, so we we created our own sound out of Stockholm with our own Swedish players and our own producer, and uh, so we had a very distinct Roxette sound, which 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 fortunately for us <laughs> seemed to have some some kind of timeless appeal. You know, when you hear all those dangerous or fading like a flower or, or uh, listen to your heart or whatever today, it still sounds like. It's good pop records, you know. You can hear that it, they have a few years. Um, time has passed by a bit when it comes to the production, but still, it's got a very distinct sound.
1: Is there a secret in Sweden uh, from ABBA to, to Max Martin uh, to Roxette? Is there something that makes uh, Sweden uh, such a center of, of pop music?
6: Yeah, well, you know, I, I get that question all the time. I, I don't really know. I think when it, when it, if you go really back to, to the ABBA days, it was, they were very much the the exception because they 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 were actually the only band that sounded international. If you if you could listen to other Swedish records from that era, it sounds really crappy. Uh, but ABBA's always sounded great for some reason. Uh, they had a great engineer and they knew what they were doing. So so of course when when the the digital revolution happened in in the in the music in pop music like in the eighties. You suddenly get—you know—everyone was using the same drum machines, the same sequencers, and the same synthesizers. So when Roxette, uh, we, we, we created our sound in the mid '80s. We—it we, sounded a little bit more international. Uh, but then, then again, I think uh, being Swedish—I mean, we, we come from a very all—all all the, all the, all these countries from the north. It's the same if you go to, to England or Scotland. Uh, we have a very strong folk music tradition, which is very melody oriented. So it, it's it's always there's so many great songwriters here because they they're really good at writing melodies. And I think that is one of the secrets with Max Martin as well. He always it's very catchy songs, you know. And it's the same with ABBA and same with Roxette. The more south you get, the more more groove you get. The more north you get, the more melodies you get.
3: Uh, so speaking in particular about. Uh it Must Have Been Love. So originally, uh, the song comes out in 1987. Uh, was originally a Christmas record. Uh, and then mm-hmm. sort of got, got the revamp uh, in 1990 with, with Pretty Woman. You actually had to change um, it from a Christmas record with the lyric Hard Christmas Day to Hard Winter's Day. And uh, there you go. You take it from the Christmas market. You let it go uh, live all year round. So, how did that that revamp come about uh, in 1990? And who had the idea to make it into a non holiday hit?
6: When we did the first Roxette um, album back in 1987, we tried. Like I said earlier, we tried to get it, you know, into Germany and into the European countries, and and uh, we couldn't get any radio airplay, nobody was really interested in the band. So. A German record company, they told us that if you write uh, a Christmas song, uh, it would be easier for us to to try to get you on the radio. So I I went home and I wrote It Must Have Been Love with the Christmas references in the lyrics. Uh, And we recorded it, and uh, they didn't want it, (laughs) so they never released it. (laughs) But it was released in Sweden. It It actually became a big Christmas song for us in 1987 in Sweden. Even though it was in English, the lyrics. But then you know, we forgot about it. And we and we, I started writing songs for uh, the Look Sharp album, you know, which became our breakthrough album. And after we had all this success with that album, um, we got invited to. I remember having a lunch in Los Angeles with, with with EMI Records, and they told us that they they had the rights to the soundtrack of this movie, starring Julia Roberts and Richard Gere. I think it was called. $3,000 at the time. It wasn't called Pretty Woman. Oh. It was called something else. Uh, so they said, we, we, we got we get the rights to this, and they told us that all the my artists were gonna be on there. You know, David Bowie was on there, and Natalie Cole, and Robert Palmer. Uh, so they wanted a Roxette song, and so they asked me to write a song for the for the movie, and I said, I can't do that because we're, we're traveling all over the world promoting the Look Sharp album, so we won't be home for many months. But I remember I said I have a Christmas song, great ballad, and it's a Christmas lyric. But I can send you the song. We can I can rewrite the lyrics and we can do some adjustments and you know update the song a bit, update the production, and uh, so we did. You know, I, I just I changed a few lines here and there, and we did a new intro, and uh, off it went to to um, L.A. and I think uh, Umberto Gattica uh, who was a very famous uh, mix mixing uh, engineer at the time he he mixed it and uh, it sounded great and we never really thought about it anymore until that movie came out and, and it became a smash movie and i remember you know being being in the studio in stockholm i, I got a telephone call from from uh, that the director of the movie gary marshall and uh, he said uh, he just said that hey, hey we never met but i just wanted to say that i love your song and i have re-edited the movie because I don't want any dialogue over the scene. I just want your song to sort of, you know, come through uh, for 50 seconds, you know, without any dialogue on it. And it's just a, the, the perfect, the best scene in the movie. And yeah. it's just a great, great track. And I said, oh, yes, that's, that's so cool. But then, of course, three, four months later on, it was like the biggest movie on the planet. So that's crazy. I was really I remember I was really disappointed in 1987 that nobody wanted to release it because I thought it was you know Marie sang it so well you know and it, it was it had a great melody uh, so it was a great song to be to begin with but it, you never know we, we were lucky to be part of the movie
1: you're talking about uh, lyrics in English uh, was that tough at first when you started writing in English how, how was that for you early on and did it get easier over the years to write English lyrics
6: yeah it, it does it, it that that is one of the things that are so weird when you when you tour over the world. You pl- let's say you play uh, Asia or you play uh, Brazil. You know you play where a Swedish band performing English in front of like a Portuguese speaking mm-hmm. crowd. And you know if you go to some some of these countries that, where you perform, they don't really speak English at all, but they know all these lyric english lyrics written by me who's not english which is weird to to begin with you know but it's a i started out writing lyrics in english when i was like 13 14 years old and then i changed into swedish my first band we we were recording in swedish and then i changed again to 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 english with Roxette. but it takes a lot of time to uh, adjust and to, to learn how to do it i think also one of the Maybe one of the reasons, so many people have told me over the years that no English speaking person, person could, or like an English native person could, could ever written the lyrics to the look because it, it's, it's weird, it's a weird sort of lyric, and maybe they're right, maybe that's, I use that as, a, as an advantage, I don't know. <laughs> if I look back to the early stuff that I wrote in the, in the 80s, the uh, English... Lyrics—they could have been a lot better. <laughs> okay.
3: Are there—are there any uh, English songwriters whose whose work has helped you, you know, navigate that that transition?
6: Oh, there's so many. I mean, I, I'm a—I I'm a, I was always been very interested in lyrics, generally speaking. You know, I, I, and everything from Joni Mitchell to Leonard Cohen to Tom Petty, Springsteen, Woody Guthrie. You know, um, you know, Hal David—great, great writers so i mean i've always been interested in lyrics and for me it's very much part of 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 my songwriting i want the lyrics and the the music to sort of say the same thing to be on the same sort of wavelength uh, so it's it's like um, i don't know a lot of people Especially in pop music, I don't really care that much about the lyrics. But I, I I'm really fussy about lyrics, fussier and fussier for every for every year. For, <laughs> older I get,
1: okay.
6: I think it really it really it's important that the lyrics work.
1: I'll ask you the uh, the general artist question about how you write, uh, Perry. Do, do you lyrics first, music first? Do, do you sit down to write? Does melody pop into your head? A combination of all that?
6: Yeah, it, it, in, in the best. Of worlds, it, it's a combination. You sit down like on a piano or, or with a guitar, or basically write on piano and guitar. And, and I try to write the lyrics at the same time, or at least the, the lion's share of the, of the lyrics. So, so I so I, think, so I sort of get the same sort of temperature in the, in the music and in the lyrics. Sometimes it's hard to do. I mean, I have like hundreds and hundreds of, of musical ideas without any lyrics on, so, so sometimes it just gets stuck uh and you and you just keep the music and sometimes you do you go back to your archives and then you use a little bit of music and put it in like a like a like a middle eight or whatever and uh, so it's it's like there there are no no rules really it's just uh, anything goes but it's it, it takes a lot of time and i think it's the great ideas come really really quickly but it takes you you need to sort of uh sort them out and you you need you need some some days and uh, some time, some space and time to, to really get back to them and to see how good they were. Then, of course, I'm, I'm I, as I think lots of writers are, I'm very restless. If, if I, I can't really sit down, like, for five hours and try to solve a musical problem. If, if it doesn't work out pretty easy, I, I just leave it alone and go somewhere else.
1: Do you remember writing? It must have been Love?
6: Yeah, I remember. I, remember, I was It's a typical uh, piano song. I wrote, wrote on a, on a grand piano in my in my apartment in in the in in the, in the city where I was born.
1: Did you feel like yeah I might have something with this one? This this has potential.
6: <laughs> yeah, but at this, you know it, that was like it was written before Roxette had had its breakthrough. So every every song that you you, you worked on was uh, important, of course, and and uh, you always were looking for for like uh, the big the big big song, but uh, you know. Like I said earlier on, coming from Sweden, we know that it was very hard to have a break, international breakthrough. So it, it, right. it's a. Uh, I felt that it was a good song, but you know, I, you, I felt that with many songs, A song's destiny is, is uh, you know, it's not ruled. You don't you don't really control it yourself. You have to have this luck element and timing element, and you know, and the, re- the right networking and everything.
1: Any favorite Roxette songs from the catalog, or is, is it a little tough to, to pick favorites? Or is it the hits, or is it some deeper cuts that maybe you thought should have been bigger hits, or just any any personal favorites?
6: I don't work with Marie anymore. I always prefer the songs that she wrote. You know, The, the whole idea with Roxette, to, to begin with, was very much that I, I was like the writer and she was the singer. That's how we started out. That was the whole idea. So all those early songs, like Queen of Rain or, or Perfect Day or... Uh, there's a song on, on an album called Crash Boom Bang, which is called uh, What's She Like, which I think is one of the best songs that I ever did.
4: But you know, she she's
6: she's always, she's always a. Made my songs better than they were. Actually, I think that that is one of the the tricks when you work with, with within a band or with a, with a great producer. You have to find people who make you stand on your toes a bit, and also to to make things even better than than it is. You know, and I think Marie, her her cap- capability of singing, triggered me to write even better songs because suddenly I had someone who could sing them. You know. And a song, a song like uh, It Must Have Been Love or, or uh, uh, Dress for, Su- for Success, for instance, uh, it's just a one take by Marie in the studio. It's just crazy. I, ha- I have it on film, actually. <laughs> uh. She's just going in there and singing this amazing vocal part. Uh, so, of course, as a writer, from a writer's point of view, it, it, uh, it's very gratifying and uh, it triggers you.
1: Beyond just her, her musical talent, was it uh, was it your friendship over all these years that also added to the magic of Roxette, and I'm sure made it a lot more fun uh, override ride over the years.
6: I think I think so. I mean, we both we very much we we're, we're small town people, both of us, and, and we came from sort of the same uh, upbringing. And uh, uh, we were really dedicated to work really hard. We would worked uh, you know our asses off for eight years, uh, and uh, you know there was. Uh, you know, so much work to do, but you had it had to be done. But if you, we were really motivated and uh, we had lots of fun, and uh, we made some great records, and I'm really proud of that. Yeah.
4: Uh, one of
3: the great hallmarks, uh, as plenty of people have noted over so many years is for a good song, hearing a cover version or somebody reinterpret it as their own uh, is, is must be a gratifying thing as a songwriter. I know about a decade ago, um, I think a lot of people in sort of my generation and the younger generation were introduced to Listen to Your Heart by the cover that, that group DHT had uh, back in the mid-2000s. Uh, when yeah. I assume you've, you, if you've heard that that version was a big hit in the states, what's that like for for you as a songwriter to know that you know this song lives on in an entirely different way from a song that you wrote?
6: Yeah, yeah, I think it's it's very gratifying. I think it's it's great, and I mean, pop music, pop music in general, I think is like the purpose of pop music is to reflect its its era when it, where it was born, and I think when I heard the the all the there's lots of sort of Dance or whatever you want to call it, covers of rock set tracks, Sleeping in My Car or, or whatever, Fading Like a Flower is very popular to, to do like EDM versions of. I think it's great and I think some of them I, 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 I think sounds, you know, I don't really get it, but you know, it works and it works for, for a new generation and I think it's just, uh, uh, it's just wonderful to, to have created music that lives on. You know, I think it's, a, that's the, it's the same thing when you do concerts, you know, people are buying tickets to, to hear your songs. And that's what it's all about, you know. You're, I'm, I'm a writer and an artist, and as long as people are interested, I'm, I'm honored, basically, because it's uh, that's what it's all about.
1: So a new album is on the way, uh, Per, and this is uh, new new location for you. Uh, recorded in Nashville, so that's coming out uh, later this year. What was that like? And uh, you worked with Nashville musicians uh, on this album as well, right?
6: You know, it's, it's just that I've, I've been doing so many albums especially in Swedish, uh, in the same studio in the south of Sweden. So I just, I told my my, my inner circle of, of collaborators that we have to move, have to change studio. So we talked about going to France, and we talked about going to England or whatever, and then this idea to go to Nashville came up, and I said, yes, that's a great idea, because, you know, I've always been a big fan of Nashville and Nash- Nashville music, and also uh, there are so many great musicians there, and I didn't really have... A, a band at the time, uh, so I just—it was just the four of us, you know, an engineer and, and uh, two players and me. And we went to Nashville and started using the, the local musicians there. And uh, it's a very lyric, lyric-driven um, album. It's actually two albums. I did, I did so many songs; it became two albums in Swedish. Uh, but it was great fun. It's—it's—I it's, tried to, to, you know, create use that sort of Nashville vibe in, and put that into my music which actually wasn't that hard to do because it's very melodic and it's and and you know getting in touch with all those fabulous players Dan Doug and Stuart Duncan and Mickey Raphael and all those people uh, it was just um, amazing I, I was a little bit scared to begin with that they to that they were gonna think like I'm doing a Third-rate country music, a country album, but they, they, didn't, they didn't think like that at all. They, they felt that the songs were, were sort of strange, <laughs> but I took that in a positive way. <laughs> uh, but it was—it it turned out great, and then I, then I realized that I should do—I should translate these songs uh, into English and make an English album out of it, which I did, and that's going to come out in uh, in Europe in uh, August. And I'm gonna do a tour, you uh, in, in Europe this fall as well. So, so it's gonna be cool. We, we have I'm very good friends with uh, Roy Orbison Jr. He's a, he's, a, he's married to a Swedish girl, uh, and uh, he he lives there, of course. And and uh, he said, oh, you have to you have to use some of Dad's uh, guitars on the record. Yeah. So he he sent over some of Roy Orbison's old amazing guitars, the original ones. So they were lying around in the studio for like two weeks and. So we used them on a couple of tracks and uh, it was just like, you know, all these little things happened and I felt very welcome and the players that, that I never met before, the session players, they came in and they were just amazing to work with as well and they, they, they triggered us to do a really great, great album and, and uh, I'd love to go back there any day.
1: From the uh, Pretty Woman soundtrack to the guy who did Pretty Woman, Roy Orbison. It's
3: the tie in for that. Look at that. (laughs) It all comes full circle.
1: Song you about out fair "Name You Beautiful," which instant classic. Uh, first time I heard it, that same uh, hallmark of melody uh, that you've always been known for. Is that on the new album or is that a standalone song?
6: Yeah, it is. It, it, it was. It, it it's not recorded in Nashville. It, it, you know, I, I was invited. to it's a uh, it's a long story but you know we we have a my my hometown halmstad where i'm uh, where i am at the moment it's a small town it's, it's about eighty thousand people living here uh, and this year hamster was host for the world champion table tennis thing uh, so we we have that, like 130 journalists from japan was here you know it was like a month ago or so uh so the, the community here Invited me to write the official theme song for that world t- table tennis uh, thing, and, I, and that, uh, so I wrote "Name You Beautiful" uh, and recorded it uh, pretty quickly, like uh, in January or so. Uh, so it, it wasn't recorded in Nashville, but it's very much influenced by, by by the by the Nashville song. We used violin and pedal steel and dobro and everything. Uh, so it, it's definitely on the album, uh, and it's uh, but it's it's uh, probably the most Pop, top forty-ish uh, song there is on the album.
1: Lots of the other stuff are, are really acoustic and a uh, little different. Yeah. and uh, Per Gessl's Roxette is the name of the tour that's uh, going to be in Europe mm-hmm. this year. So even if you're not uh, no longer recording or touring uh, with Marie, you're you're keeping the legacy of of uh, these Roxette songs mm-hmm. going uh, live for uh, for fans uh, coming up this year. Yeah, that
6: that is, you know, that was that was a tough. Decision to make. You know, I, I was talking to Marie a lot, and you know, she can't really tour anymore because of her health issues. And, and she, she, and I, I mean, there's, there, I only have two options. It's, it's to skip the Roxette tracks or, um, or continue playing them. You know, it's the, the Roxette catalog of songs has been so much part of my life, and, and it, I just, and Marie agreed with me, and, uh, to, to, I should do something with them. So I, I decided to go on a tour with a different band. I'm not replacing Marie. You, she's irreplaceable. But I'm, I'm using uh, other singers, and, uh, and I'm singing myself, of course. And uh, we have, I have a great band, uh, which is, includes uh, all those elements that I have on the new record as well, you know, violin and pedal steel and that kind of stuff. So I'm, I'm just trying to get a, a new sort of angle to, to all those Roxette songs that, that uh, have live, been with me since, since I was in my, you know, since the 80s. So I think that's going to be an interesting... Thing and some a new challenge for me as well.
1: And even if uh, Marie isn't uh, touring and recording, it sounds like you guys are, are still still in touch and that friendship uh, continues on.
6: Yeah, of course. I mean, we have known each other since we were in our teens, so so uh, of course Marie is she's living a, a quite secluded life life nowadays, but uh, she she doesn't go out that much. But uh, we we stay in touch and uh, having dinners and, and uh, you know. You know, I try to update her a bit on what's going on with, with Roxette and with... There's not, even though we're not touring or recording anymore, there's, there's always things happening with Roxette. Like we talk about cover versions or commercials or f- films or TV series or whatever. There's always new things going on. It's positive things because it, it means that the music lives on. I think it's really cool
1: well again Pierre I've been uh, such a huge fan of both you guys for, for so long so really fun to uh, to, to get in, into the backstories of some of these uh, hits uh, today and some of the deeper cuts so uh, thank you so much for taking the time uh, to do this and can't wait to hear no, my uh, pleasure. the new okay. music coming out as well thank you so much Pierre
6: thank you have a great day take care bye bye now
1: must have been love Roxette Pear Gessel our special guest in the Billboard Sharpie podcast talking about uh, the entire career of Roxette uh, some of his solo hits new solo album on the way new song sounds great so uh, great to hear from uh, Pear Gessel uh, on the Billboard Sharpie podcast this week as we counted down the top 20 this week on the Hot 100 from 20 to 1 uh, all the way to it must have been love uh, just gonna mention one other song Trevor outside the top 20 this week Is uh, here we go yeah sort of historic week uh, new in the top 40 at number 38 for number 51 it's third week on the chart Mariah Carey, Vision of Love, new in the top 40. Who knew then? Maybe maybe Tommy Mottola knew. How big Mariah would become it was her first of 35 top 40 hits so far. 18 number ones, the most by any solo artist. Second only, The Beatles with 20. This was the week 28 years ago. Mariah Carey in the top 40 for the first time with Vision of Love. I had a vision of love
4: And it was all that you've them to me
1: So yeah, in addition to the top uh, twenty, uh, Mariah Carey was moving up, and as we talk about, this was early nineteen ninety, kind of getting a sense of uh, what music was like back then. Mariah would uh, own the decade going forward.
3: That's the most. That is the most lamb aggressive take. I love it. Uh,
1: so there it is. Uh, this week's uh, Billboard Hot One Hundred back in nineteen ninety. Uh, we'll talk to you next week on the Billboard Sharpie Podcast. We'll be number one uh, next week. Will uh, Post Malone stay at number one with Psycho? Uh, I like it. Could it jump up to number one? Uh, we'll find out. Special guest next week is going to be songwriter Justin Tranter. He's going to be joining us. So He's written several hits for Selena Gomez, Justin Bieber, Halsey, many others. Uh, Big advocate for LGBT rights as well. Really interesting uh, chat that uh, we did tape with him. So that's coming up next week. Really fun guest.
3: Yeah, really fun guest. Just gotten some major accolades for his songwriting, so we'll talk about them as well. And in the past couple of years, he's been a really big advocate for several, you know, uh, causes out there, of course, LGBT rights, right there, front and center, but gun control issues as well. So we'll talk to him about his social activism, and of course, in addition to his songwriting, and uh, really, you know, one of the most fun guests we've had uh, on the countdown.
1: And uh, don't forget, you better call. <laughs> Ooh, you better call the chartbeat hotline two one two
4: four nine three forty two one. <laughs>
1: Our new uh, Charfee Podcast hotline for any uh, chart questions, comments you might have. We might play them back and respond in an upcoming episode.
3: All right. And wrapping things up, we're going to give our friends Roxette one more playback with a song that is very fitting for this time of year.
1: Fitting for June. It's Roxette, June afternoon on the Billboard Charfee Podcast.